from the producer of Aliens and Terminator 2, L.A. in 1948. How is it? Bad. It's always bad. Something's coming, something ugly. Everyone wanted power. I'll be in my hands by Thursday. I'm attending a conference, and this volume is the key to my presentation. A conference that starts at midnight? Everyone wanted control. It's in the book. Over here. Promise. Power. Price. What price? You're gonna be dead, Lovecraft. And I'm gonna be on top of the world. I should settle things once and for all about who was smart and who was a chump. And everyone used magic. Black magic. An economicon. Must be some book. Except Detective Lovecraft. Damn it, Phil. Everybody's got a compromise. That's what I keep hearing. Then what makes you so special? He's the right guy. I'm serious. And why are you wearing that hat? But it's the wrong time. Someone's throwing lesser demons at you. You don't even carry a rabbit's foot. I can handle it. Well, I'm not worried about you, Phil. I'm worried about the people who might get in the way. He's got 48 hours to save the world. Or what's left of it. Phil, nothing in life's as funny as you think. Fred Ward. My collar may be a little frayed. Maybe I need a shoe shine. Nobody's got a mortgage on my soul. I own it. Free and clear. Cast a deadly spell. The HBO original movie... Radio Drome. Welcome to another Eldritch Dripped episode of Radio Drome. We are still talking Lovecraft because I don't care what the calendar says, it's still Halloween as far as I'm concerned. But you can hear I'm here, and Cecil will not be today because, how did he put it, Peter? He's zonked out on Dayquil right now. He's going to be having some uh, lucid lucid nightmare trip-out dreams zonked out on uh, Nyquil, yeah. Cecil won't be here this week, he's just not feeling good. But Peter is here as you can hear. But yeah, if you, kinda. I'm kinda here. Before we talk about more Lovecraft stuff, we need you guys to go to adamandeve.com. Buy something there. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you want to protect yourself online, you need sort of a digital condom, you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, and that will take you to Nord's site. You have to go through the 1201beyond.com backslash drone VPN, or we don't get the credit for it. But NordVPN will help encode your data. They will protect your data. You can use them to get around region locking. You can choose whatever server you want to look You want to look like you're coming from, whatever. You want to use NordVPN. But you need to go to 1201beyond.com backslash drone VPN, and it'll help us out a lot. And if you do that, you'll get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.49 a month for digital condom protection. It's worth it. So all that said, Peter, we're not going to talk about Lovecraft specifically tonight, although we are. Let's look at the influence of Lovecraft. Because we talked a lot about how his stories have been adapted over and over and over and over again. But let's talk about just the influence that he had. Because there are certain filmmakers and certain films that just, whether Lovecraft is directly credited or not, you can just see the Lovecraft stories and his style. It's strange how he only worked in print, but he has such a visual style to him. Isn't that strange to say out loud? Yeah, there's so many films that are influenced, not just the ones that are direct adaptations of his books, as we're talking about. We're talking about the ones that are more inspired. And there are so many, I think more than, than people even really realize, like, um, like even big, like blockbuster films like Alien is very, very Lovecraft influenced. And then of course you have some 
uh, smaller, more niche films like uh, Casta Deadly Spell, which is also excellent. Like there's there's so much um, influence of of Lovecraft's works uh, in the world of cinema. It's it's strange how you can see something visually in a movie and you just kind of get this feeling that really reeks of Lovecraft. You know, I don't consider Pacific Rim to really be a Lovecraft inspired film. But the kaiju that come through really look like something out of a Lovecraft story, don't they? Oh, yeah, they're very uh, old one Cthulhu-looking kind of you know, tentacly-type creatures. It, it definitely fits. Guillermo del Toro, I mean, I think oh, his entire style go to Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, all that. Very Lovecraft. Maybe not Hellboy and the Golden Army, but the first Hellboy. Oh, a the first lot, a lot of Lovecraft influence in that first Hellboy well, that's movie. Not like, that straight up has, like, cultists, like, it's mention of Cthulhu himself. That, that monster that he fights at the beginning of the movie kind of looks like Cthulhu with like the, it, it looks like a kind of tentacle beard and it's green and then very slimy, swampy looking, very aquatic looking monster and monsters as well that appear in the film. Just overall, like, and the, Hell, the Hellboy comics too, there's obviously lots of like Lovecraft stuff in there, but when they made the movie because the filmmaker is such a big fan of, of Lovecraft, he's, he's, his influence of Lovecraft is just about in everything he makes, particularly the, the first Hellboy film. I think you can see that in all of his other movies, too, like Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. Just, oh, that, yeah. That's got Lovecraft all over it. Oh, God, yeah. Just, like, very, very weird creatures. Uh, definitely uh, an aquatic influence. Definitely something that, that could have come from a, another world or another time or dimension. Just that it's It's got that Lovecraftian weirdness to it, for sure. You just mentioned Lovecraftian weirdness. How would you describe, without a, without using a specific example from a movie, how would you describe what a Lovecraft influence should look like? If you're trying to get through to somebody who maybe has not read Lovecraft, but you want to get through to them, this is what Lovecraft feels like. Because it's strange, because of the fact that he only wrote in words, so you always, going all the way back to his stories, you had to imagine what he was talking about, how he has such a distinct visual style only with using words, though. I think there are some key key aesthetics to make you think that something is kind of Lovecraft-ish. Definitely wet, slimy, uh, something squid-like for sure, something that looks like it could be aquatic but also alien but also monster after reading Lovecraft and seeing all this stuff, he had a real... Okay, he had a fear of black people and immigrants and Jews and all that, as we talked about last week. I think he really, really feared the ocean. Because yeah. how, how much of his stuff is influenced by sea life is weird and you should fear it. Yes, like things that are from the from the depths rather than uh, from the stars, even though they, they came crashing down from the stars. But a lot of the time, it's this monster or old god or something that's uh, living below the depths of the ocean and it's very a lot of it is very squid like octopus kind of stuff tentacles squids suction cups like tons of eyes that sort of stuff indescribable horrors like that would be some of the keywords like wet slimy indescribable aquatic horrors cultists uh the things like that like it's it's very much that that sort of type of of horror like a, a general Weirdness, something uh, unconventional type of horror that, that tends to be brought to the table comes to Lovecraftian style weirdness. And see, what, what I think when, when you think of Lovecraft style, it's both really easy to pin down when you see his influence in things, and it's also kind of difficult to articulate. If you've not read Lovecraft, you might go, I don't see what you guys are talking about with Hellboy and with Pacific Rim. But if you've read Lovecraft, you say to yourself, oh, I absolutely see it. So it's sort of strange to describe. He has a, he has a unique visual style that is sort of all his own. Even going back to all that, that era of like weird tales and, and amazing stories and all that that he was writing in the pulp era, he really had a different style than Robert E. Howard or Ray Bradbury, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, or anything like that. They were all telling horror, science fiction, fantasy-type stories. Lovecraft's were sort of on another plane, no pun intended. There was a, a different aesthetic when it came to his works. There was a different narrative. There was something very unconventional about the stories he told, about the, the creatures that he wrote about, about the types of characters that he wrote about. 
even in, in ones that don't really delve too much into slimy, tentacle-ridden creatures, uh, you, you also have that general weirdness coming uh, from stories like Reanimator or, or coming from stories... What, what's that one, The Accountant? Randolph Carter. That one where you don't even really see any monsters, but there's that, like, fear of the unknown of, of what might have been in that tomb. Definitely something strange in a very good way and unconventional in a very good way and very, very ahead of its time. He was telling very modern horror stories in a time where nobody really knew about that sort of stuff, particularly the alien influences of it, the aquatic uh, terror influences of it. It's it's very much, um, I, I compare him, even though uh, this, this particular writer came quite a bit after Lovecraft, uh, I compare Lovecraft quite a bit to Philip Dick because... Dick's stories were very modern. Like they, they're the type of, it's the type of science fiction that very much took off in the later 70s and the 80s. And of course, a lot of his movies were, or a lot of his books were being adapted into movies because it really was fitting with the aesthetic of that time. It was that kind of a future that he was writing about. And it translated so well later on down the line rather than in, in his, the actual time that he was um, writing the stories. And I, I think Lovecraft in comparison is very similar because I feel like not a lot of people really understood where that that style was coming from because it was so weird and ahead of its time for its time. One of his aspects is the unknown, and lots of movies use that. And I think that also does play into his racism and his xenophobia. What was he the most afraid of? The unknown. These these people coming from China and from Russia and from Africa, these people, we don't know what they're bringing with them. We don't know if they have diseases. We don't know what they're going to do. He was terrified of the unknown, and that manifested in Cthulhu and Yagasoth and all this. That comes through in a lot of the the works influenced by him, like John Carpenter's The Thing. While it is an adaptation of someone else's book of who goes there, it really, stylistically, has a Lovecraft influence on it. One, with the unknown, but two, with Rob Bottin's designs. Those Mm. really feel like they could be monsters out of a Lovecraft story. And the fact that this is a lost creature, entity, being, whatever, from space that's been frozen in the ice and we don't know its true form. I mean, there's a lot of Lovecraft here, even though this is both a remake of an earlier film, Thing from Another World, and an adaptation of a book almost think John Carpenter's movie takes more Lovecraft than it does Who Goes There a Thing from Another World, oddly enough. I think it does, and I think that's true that it's more of a Lovecraftian tale, because there's a lot of gray areas when it comes to Thing from Another World and when it comes to Who Goes There, because Who Goes There and At the Mountains of Madness were both published in the same publication, but the thing with At the Mountains of Madness is this was a story that was written quite a few years before Who Goes There was, but it was published later on, and they were both kind of released at the same time. So there's there's speculations that Who Goes There is just simply a ripoff of At the Mountains of Madness, because it really is a really, really similar story. Thing from Another World is, is very, very different uh, to either stories. It's, it's barely really an adaptation. And then John Carpenter's The Thing, though claiming to be an adaptation of of who goes there really feels a lot more like a modern retelling of at the mountains of madness particularly with the very old one looking monsters lots of tentacles the weird shape-shifting the strangeness the the tone they're very somber and weird and you you don't really know what's going to happen next It, it feels very lovecraft it feels like it it's pretty much the closest we'll get to the, the most most faithful of an adaptation of, of At the Mountains of Madness because it just has, it has every element that a good Lovecraft story should have. There's that the feeling of, of isolation. There's the feeling of the fear of the unknown. There's there's the weird, sticky, wet, aquatic-looking, tentacled monster aliens. Like, it's it's perfect Lovecraft story that <laughs> seems to be masquerading as another story, let's, let's face it, was probably ripped off from Lovecraft. Well, what about something where just the influence can be seen, and that's all, and that's like The Mist? The Mist is a very Stephen King. I'm talking about the movie, mm. but the movie is very much Stephen King in the in the characters and the way things play out. But when you see the monsters in it, they are straight out of a Lovecraft book cover. Oh yeah, they? those are those are old ones. They just look like old ones. Specifically, I'd be talking about that big eight-legged 
not not spider, but that giant building size thing he yeah, sees with near the, the end. The but because uh, you only see like a little bit of it in the in the mist, but like you can see the the tentacle beard. It's 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 grand size and stuff. It's very very Cthulhu. It's it's very much what the those old the old monsters, uh, the olds and stuff. The the way that they're the way that they're described. It's it's very very Cthulhu. But I, I mean, like even the, the spider creatures mm. that they encounter in the pharmacy, oh, yeah. or, or 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 the, the the like pterodactyl things that break through the the windows to get the bugs. Those literally look like something that you would have seen on a on a, a collected edition of a Lovecraft cover. They, yeah. they look Lovecraftian. They're they're what you might imagine like some of those creatures that he describes might look like. Like there's the whole idea of like the shogith and and all this stuff. Like it it feels. There's definitely like a vibe there that uh, some of these are influenced of uh, descriptions of, of certain creatures that are in Lovecraft's works. And, and The Mist is just overall, I think, fucking excellent movie. I think one of the, um, Stephen King adaptations to come out in, in more recent time. Oh, The Mist is an amazing film. This next one, I wasn't the biggest fan. I see why people liked it. I see the influence, there are aspects of it I like, but the void just didn't work for me. I didn't like the setting, I hated all the characters, <laughs> but, you, but but you can see the Lovecraft influence oh, absolutely. Almost, almost in a pornographic way <laughs> in the void, you know? I, I really enjoyed The Void, um, if anything, just for the pure visual aesthetic of it. I think it was a great looking movie. I love the, there, there's like cultists in it, there's weird tentacly monsters in it, there's gods, weird like other d- dimensional beings and gods that are trying to break through into our world and there is a lot of, a lot of great little things in there. Not even just, not even just Lovecraft influence, but I, I got a, a little bit, uh, there's a, a bit of a Hellraiser vibe in, in there a little bit too. I, I very much enjoyed that one. I, I would, even though, um, it might not be everybody's bag, but I feel like if you're looking for something that is Lovecraft influence without being just a straight up adaptation of one of his stories, I, I think that's a, a solid, solid one to check out if that's the sort of thing you're you're looking for to watch for the night well you mentioned hellraiser and doesn't the first hellraiser kind of have a lovecraftian vibe if okay lovecraft was never really interested in sex never interested in women he just sex didn't mean a lot to him yeah there's not a lot of um not a lot of sexual tone in his in his stories really not a lot of romantically engaged characters that's one thing to note in a lot of his stories well and even his biographer admitted that when he met his you know soon to be future wife she had to teach him about sex so oh wow so sex was not he was very very sheltered yes. i think that's yeah. yeah so so sex didn't mean a lot to hp lovecraft other than the sex angle because you can't take the sex snm sex angle out of hellraiser do you <laughs> do you kind of get a lovecraft vibe off of the visuals yeah. and the style of hellraiser and again it's the unknown and it's torture and it's unnameable things i mean literally pinhead didn't even have a name and he was just lead cenobite i i <laughs> i get a lovecraft vibe off of hellraiser and that's not meant to be an insult to clive barker I think Clive Barker has got to be a huge Lovecraft fan. I think a lot of, there's a lot of influence there, particularly with Hellraiser, particularly the Hellraiser movie. It very much has that fear of the unknown tone, something that's coming from a, 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 a hell, basically, a type of hell. Like, it's not the hell, but it's a hell. And it's this other dimension, and it's these, these beings that come in because of you know, this ancient artifact, this puzzle, and they, they form, they, they come from that other realm, and, and they're these weird creatures, you don't really know what they are. It very much is that kind of bizarre, uh, sweaty, sticky, gross, um, very challenging type of, of horror story. Uh, I'm very akin to the type of stuff you would read about in a Lovecraft story. Like, not exact, but there's a tone there for sure. There, there's something in there that it definitely fits in within that whole Lovecraftian lore. And I would say even though Clive Barker didn't write it, Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, Leviathan. That Leviathan is basically an old one, isn't he? Pretty much, yeah. Because we're more in uh, their their realm in that film. Leviathan is just, just this like ancient... Old one, you know, has been been around for for centuries and centuries. Very much that that kind of vibe for sure. Um, I've always preferred Hellraiser two as well. I think that one is the the superior of the the films. I've always really loved the aesthetic of showing where they came from, 
the, the Leviathan character, uh, the, that creature in itself. Just, just a great follow up and definitely a movie that if you're, again, in sort of a Lovecraftian vibe, that one is, is perfect. Um, more so than the first one, I would say. Well, now, you mentioned Alien earlier, and I agree with you, but I think only the first half. I think LV426 is a Lovecraft planet. Yes. Ev- everything. I mean, the, the space, let's leave all the Prometheus crap and all this. So let's leave it in its 1979 <laughs> context where we don't know what this creature is. Yeah. We don't, we don't know how long it's been here, this ship. I mean, H.R. Giger's work is really Lovecraftian. You have to oh, admit yeah. that. I mean, his paintings and all that, they're, they're, they're shockingly unique, but they also, you can see a Lovecraft vibe. The first half of Alien is absolutely Lovecraft inspired. Mm. Once they once they are on the Nostromo and off LV-426, that's kind of a different thing. But And it becomes more of like a body count horror slasher kind of movie in space. But definitely, yeah, that first, those first moments uh, where they find LV-246, 426, was it 426 or 246? LV-426. LV-426. They, they touch down on that planet, they find the weird derelict ship, they, they see the remnants of the, the creatures and the walls are all, all weird. Very much... A, it's like a combination of At the Mountains of Madness and a little bit of, of Call of Cthulhu, you know, the story of the, the sailors that, that see the rising sunken city of Relay. Like, you can very much call that, that the, the planet and both the derelict ship, that can very, very much be almost, uh, its own version of finding that, that old sunken city. And it's actually oh, the home of these ancient gods or aliens or, or what have you. It's very, very Lovecraft, for sure. Well, and I also saw a little bit of aspect in remembering a lot of Lovecraft stuff when they find these ancient cities or these ancient tombs or whatever. There's And he always made it Cyclopean, like a Cyclopean statue that was worshipped. That would mm. be the, the petrified space jockey. Pretty much. That is exactly that. It's like remaining statue or, or petrified corpse of this just massive creature that, that man has never never set its eyes on before. Now, sticking with the space theme, maybe I'm reaching on this one. Don't mean the second half. This kind of like Alien, only the first half of the movie. Life Force. Do you see a Lovecraft influence in there, especially when they're in the spaceship that's trapped in Halley's Comet? And, you know, it's got those that big, like, butthole opening that they have <laughs> to go through, and then just all the crystalline chambers that the, that the you know, now corpses are in, and the bat creatures, you know, when they're in their true form, which we do see again near the end. Mm. Those are very Lovecraftian, or am I reaching too far on Life Force? I don't know if it was intentional. Like, I feel like with Life Force, Toby Hooper was maybe trying to ape uh, Alien a little bit with that el- with that opening. But I think just by proxy, that kind of makes it feel Lovecraftian. You know, just finding this derelict ship and discovering this new new race of creatures. Just the the weird, the overall weirdness of how it looks. It, it does. It fits to that sort of, you know, finding some ancient tomb or some ancient civilization of, of aliens or whatever. But I feel like on this one, it's maybe more... More like coincidental because they were trying to, they were going with the sort of aesthetic of the, of the science fiction films of, of that time and Alien was, Alien and Aliens were, were two of the biggest influences. So if, if your movie didn't begin with, you know, finding some alien ship or some alien civilization, it's like you're, you're not ripping off the right movie. What about then Prince of Darkness? This, oh, well, yeah. When it comes Absolutely. to, when, when it comes to Prince of Darkness, it's, that one's intentional. John yeah. Carpenter absolutely made a Lovecraft movie with that one. That one's a little bit more subtle, is what I was going to say. It's not mm-hmm. as overtly Lovecraftian. Prince of Darkness is a, is more of a subtle Lovecraft sort of thing. I really kind of appreciate that. Yeah, it doesn't like doesn't quite beat you over the head with the with the visuals as the thing does and i don't mean that in, a, in an insulting way like i love the visuals in the thing and how it's very clearly lovecraftian but this one is more lovecraftian in the vibe of it of that impending doom of that dreading the unknown of, of not knowing what's what's on the other side of that mirror or that there's this uh whole other alternate world or a, another something else from beyond the stars or, or wherever it is i think there's there's definitely that sense of lovecraftian dread sort of i, I always got the same vibe watching Prince of Darkness that I get reading Call of Cthulhu because Cthulhu is barely actually in that story. It's really more just it's more of a tale of 
his worshippers, the cultists, that, that one account of the sailors that ran into Relay, a lot of it is it's keeping the that creature, that monster in shadows. Prince of Darkness very much has that that vibe. Like it's really the way the story is told is this this creature from the other realm is hinted at a little more as being like Satan or something, but you could compare it as well with, you know, Cthulhu and that there are followers and, you know, there's those, uh, those homeless people that basically get turned into like loyal worshipers of, of that creature that's trying to make it into our, our realm from, from theirs. Uh, it, it very much hits uh, a lot of the same beats as, uh, as a story like Call of Cthulhu does. Okay. What about then Event Horizon? Because Event, mm. Event Horizon I see as more of Hellraiser in space, but then if we go with that Hellraiser is Lovecraft influenced, I can kind of see it in Event Horizon, but even I think I might be reaching a little bit with Event Horizon. Event Horizon, is, I mean, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I definitely think they were going for more of like a Hellraiser in space kind of thing, which is better. It was done a lot better than the actual Hellraiser in space movie, but I, I really like Event Horizon, and I could, I could, I've always compared it a little more to like a Cronenberg-style body horror film mixed with some Clive Barker influence and stuff in there, but I think I would need to watch it again to try to try to pinpoint some of the more Lovecraftian influences that it might have, but it's like, if it does remind you of Clive Barker, again, by proxy, it's sort of Lovecraftian as well, because Barker is clearly a huge, huge Lovecraft fan. Well, let, let's look at two films that most people haven't seen. Cast a Deadly Spell and Witch Hunt. Now, these ones are technically reaching as being Lovecraft influenced, but they're not. No, Cast a Deadly Spell takes place in the world of Lovecraft. To a degree. It's like, it's flat out a Lovecraft-like story. But not an, not an adaptation, but like, what if all of the stuff in his stories were like, that was what the world was like, and you've got like private detectives that deal with the supernatural cases, everything is just normal, and everybody, nobody thinks anything is weird, like, you know, if it starts raining blood out of nowhere, it's just like, ah, it's just another day, another day in Lovecraft world. Well, cause like, the- It's, that's such a, such a fantastic concept. What, what the premise for Cast a Deadly Spell is, is basically, an alternate history where instead of technology completely advancing, it takes place in the 1940s. And everything, it, is, like everything magic. is magic. Everything is run by G- magic. Vampires and witches and spell books. These are commonplace. And our main character, played by Fred Ward, Howard Philip Lovecraft, private detective who hates magic and refuses to use it, but he gets pulled <laughs> into a case involving the Necronomicon and then all these creatures... And then it had a, it had a much lower budgeted sequel a couple of years later. Is that the Dennis Dennis, De- Dennis Hopper, Hopper one? takes over as Lovecraft? I've, I've never actually seen I've never seen that one. I've only ever the, seen the first. The, the sequel Witch Hunt is strange. In it clearly had a lower budget because both of these are HBO original movies, so these were not theatrical mm-hmm. or direct to video, and and neither yeah. of them are even available on DVD today. Which in Witch Hunt, they take a good idea and they don't move it forward enough. They take the idea of the Red Scare of the 1950s with communists everywhere, but what if you're, you know, what if you're a wizard or something like that? Turn that into communism. They, they, they were using really mid 90s morphing technology and CGI that oh. was dated even at the time. Okay, the only good thing I'll say about it is, look at Dennis Hopper's entire career. All of the batshit stuff he's been in. He said <laughs> Witch Hunt is the weirdest movie he's ever made. Oh, wow. That's that's a, <laughs> that's quite a statement coming from him. That's what I mean. Well, he also said he had no idea what was happening at any moment. He was just reading the lines. He didn't understand the <laughs> script at all. This was just, oh I don't know what I'm doing, but Paul Schrader says I'm doing fine, so okay. Okay, I, I gotta see this one now. Uh, just for that alone makes me want to watch it. But I, that's pretty great. I seriously recommend Cast a Deadly Spell and Witch Hunt. I think they're both available on HBO streaming service. I know Cast a Deadly Spell is. I don't know if Witch Hunt is. Witch Hunt will disappoint you because it's not nearly as good as Cast a Deadly Spell because, like I said, you can see how much lower the budget is. They put a ton oh. into Cast a Deadly Spell. Yeah, that's, you can really see all the money on screen. Like, it's a very, 
uh, grand, grand scale feeling film. Like it, it feels like it should have been in theaters. Well, it wasn't, and nobody really watched it. Although the few people that did, it got tons of great reviews at the time. Just yeah, it's it's got a, it's definitely got a cult following. I would say, like, there's the the people that are into like Lovecraft stuff, like really into it, not just the Lovecraft meme kind of shit. Like the ones that actually read the stories that have seen the Stuart Gordon film, stuff like that. I think mean, they're the ones that get a kick out of it and really enjoy Cast a Deadly Spell for what it is. The thing with Cast a Deadly Spell and Witch Hunt is Lovecraft, even influences, are tend, they very serious in tone. Cast yeah. Cast a Deadly Spell and Witch Hunt have a much more lighter, let's have fun with this sort of tone, and that might throw people off. Tone, for sure. Oh, it's there's absolutely a, a satire. satire. Absolute satire, yes. Mm-hmm. So I really it's recommend really, it's those. Played, it's played really, really well. Like, it actually, it works. That tire works without being mean-spirited to the source material and while still being serious enough that, you know, you, you can take this seriously as taking place in a 1940s alternate alternate reality of the 1940s where magic runs everything and there's one there's, there's a few people out there that don't believe in magic you know they're they're opposed to that sort of thing that's that's where the detective character comes in just just a great a great little movie that that does need to be seen by a lot more people absolutely there's the one everyone's saying why have you not talked about yet again john carpenter really loves lovecraft do you know why john carpenter likes lovecraft so much when he was a child and couldn't read yet, his dad would read him Lovecraft stories as bedtime stories. Oh my god. So that's why he is such a huge Lovecraft fan. They were such an important part of his childhood. And then In the Mouth of Madness is, it's not pure Lovecraft, because there's also a lot of Stephen King in there and a lot of Dean Koontz in there. Potter Kane is supposed to be kind of uh, the Stephen King of the movie. Yeah, and, and you get some Dean Koontz as well. But mm. man, In the Mouth of Madness is almost a... Almost a loving homage to H.P. Lovecraft for people who, and considering how it did at the box office and with reviews, who didn't understand Lovecraft. Yeah, it's definitely more in the, the cult film realm. Again, like Cassidy Spell, the people who are really actually into Lovecraft, who have read his works and have seen the, really like the, the niche level adaptations that from the, the 80s and the 90s, they really appreciate this film. And it's a great movie. It's, you can see all the influence in there. I love the the uh, graphic work done for the the Sutter Kane novels. Like, there's so much eldritch horror influence there. There's so much Call of Cthulhu influence there. Like, you you see creatures that very much look like Cthulhu and other old ones and Shuggets and stuff like that. It, it's such an inventive, creative film. Like, all the the best thing about about Mouth of Madness to me is just the overall, the, the set design, the production design, the artwork done for the movie. It all, it all creates this, this fantastic world within the film. You know, this, this writer that's kind of both a combination of, of a little bit of Kuntz. It's just awesome. Like, just, the, the movie is so rewatchable for, for those reasons alone. Not only because of the, the fantastic performances, you know, from the likes of Sam Neill, really great direction from John Carpenter, really just looks astonishingly great film. One of, one of Carpenter's best looking films. But just the, if you're, if you're like a production design nut, like if you appreciate good set design, great graphic design, and that creative stuff on that level, you're really going to love At the Mouth of Madness. Like, I think it's so top-notch when it comes to all that stuff. Like, just, just some of my absolute favorite production design of, of any film. Well, I mean, even the title alone, In the Mouth of Madness. At the Mountains of at, Madness. At the Mountains of Madness. I mean, yes. even the title alone is a freaking homage, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, I brought up Pacific Rim. There's another one there where I say the movie is not Lovecraft-inspired at all. Neither is the story. But the monster in in Monsters in Cloverfield? Yeah. Very Lovecraft. Those are straight out of a Lovecraft story. I mean, Cloverfield (laughs) is a garbage film. The creature designs are straight out of an H.P. Lovecraft story. You know, we, we kind of don't know where the, where the creature comes from, so there's that, that fear of the unknown of it. There's also like smaller creatures that are attacked to the, attached to the bigger monster, and just, yeah, a very Lovecraftian feel to, to the creature that we see. I mean, I don't know if I hate Cloverfield. I've seen it once or twice. I didn't mind it too much. I feel like the, the sequel that wasn't even originally meant to be a sequel to it with John Goodman was, uh, far superior, but I feel like with, it does have that cool element of, of definitely having kind of uh, a Lovecraft influence to it with the, the creature that's attacking the city. Now, this one, I see it. 
and I don't see it. I, I, I see this next one I'm going to bring up as an, almost an accidental homage to Lovecraft. <laughs> and that's because Phantoms was the bomb, yo. <laughs> Phantoms, God, I haven't, seen, I, I haven't seen that one in forever. There, there are, you, you can see in certain aspects, you're like, okay, I'm getting a Lovecraft sort of vibe off this, but also a crap vibe off this, too. <laughs> that was, um... Affleck was in that one, wasn't he? Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Barely remember anything about that movie. I remember he was wearing some, like, goofy cowboy hat in it or something, and he he wasn't quite quite there yet with um, the kind of actor that he would eventually become. Peter, let's just say this is Reindeer Games acting level Ben Affleck. I like Reindeer Games level acting Ben Affleck. Oh, screw uh, you. It's uh, it's Pearl Harbor Affleck that I I have a problem with. Like I said, in Phantoms, you can kind of see it, but I almost think... What, what is the, like, which, um, what story specifically would, or, um, aesthetically, I guess, what, cause I haven't seen Phantoms in a while. What is the influence for that one? I haven't seen it since the 90s either. I remember something about maybe drilling or something that they find this old ancient evil okay. underneath the earth. And, and, and I'm like, okay, I, I this is where I'm getting the Lovecraft influence. Yeah, that, you know? yeah, that's a little at the Mountains of Madnessy, a little bit Call of Cthulhu-y, kind of. I would need to watch it again. I don't I don't know if I will. Maybe I will. Just because I, I haven't seen it in so long and I don't really don't really remember much, much about it. At first I said... This is a reach. I saw this on a, on a list of somebody. I was reading a review of this movie, and they mentioned it, it's Lovecraft-inspired. And I'm like, not really. And then I thought about it, and I said, well, kind of. Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson? Oh, that. I can kind of see Lovecraft influence a little bit. I never really put that together. Um, I mean, I, I quite I quite like that movie. It was weird. Definitely different. Uh, very, very different sort of film. But... Uh... I don't know if I recall feeling any any Lovecraftian vibes. Maybe, maybe there there might have been something there. Because uh, she she is like an alien, I guess. Uh, yeah, she's like that black alien. Yeah, thing. So I guess there's a bit of that um, unknown horror element to it. Uh, not knowing really where she came from at first, I guess. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if uh, if I really see it. Like, is this just people that have been sort of speculating that it is, or did the filmmakers say that there was a Lovecraft influence? Reviewers said that they saw it, and that's why I said, eh, Okay, these, these are probably just people uh, reaching then. I think it was just, oh. it was really just more of like a science fiction horror film slash guerrilla filmmaking experimental kind of film. I, I don't know if there's really Lovecraft in there. Maybe there is, but I'm not sure. No story. Some of the aesthetics, especially of the sequels, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I can really see some Lovecraft influence with the Kraken and, uh, was, was it, um, Davy Jones with the, the big tentacle beard and all that. I can kind of see some of the Pirates of the Caribbean, even like the zombie sharks in the later ones and that. I see some Lovecraft influence in at least the visuals. Oh yeah, of the yeah, the, the Davy Jones character with like the, the tentacle beard, um, the sort of Kraken-esque character. I, I think definitely was, um, there was a Lovecraft influence there because Lovecraft is described, or not Lovecraft, Cthulhu is described of having like a beard of tentacles and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a smaller scale version or, or, or just like a little, a wink and a nudge at uh, a little bit of Lovecraft influence there. But the, the movies, the Pirates movies as a whole, not really influenced by them, but I think that visual aesthetic of, of the Davy Jones, was it the Davy Jones character? It was like the, I think it was. I've only seen, I, I've never seen past three. I've only seen the two I and three do, I once. do recall an undead ghost pirate thing that had like squid-like features and was meant to be like half Kraken or something, but he totally looked like Cthulhu. We talked about it a little bit last week. Creature from the Black Lagoon. While it's not plagiaristic, you can see the influence of Shadow over Innsmouth in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, there's an idea there for sure. Um, there, there's definitely uh, influence of like uh, Deep Ones. Of that that particular uh, creature of the Lovecraftian lore. Stick with me here, okay? You're either going to agree with me, or you're going to want to punch me in the face <laughs> for this one. All right. Okay? Fulci's The Beyond. Especially no, the ending. I agree 100%. The ed- 
Okay. I, I really didn't know where you were going to fall, because, okay, I've never gotten a Lovecraft fan vibe off of Fulci before, but the Beyond, I mean, it's got that oppressive atmosphere, it's got the fear of the unknown, which might just be because they were making the movie up as they went along, so they <laughs> didn't know what was going to happen, but especially the, the ending and certain aspects of the way Fulci shot the Beyond, whether he intended it or not, because, like, I have no idea whether he'd ever read Lovecraft or not. Who knows, yeah. It might have just been by complete accident, but it totally feels like it could be uh, an adaptation of uh, like like uh, Shadow over Innsmouth. That it, it has vibes of that. It has vibes of Call of Cthulhu. There's obviously there the whole you know other realm that's coming in and bleeding into our world and stuff. Like if you just re- replaced like zombies with deep ones or cultists you would have, like, a Lovecraft story. Like, it very much has that, it has that feel, it has the vibe of, of a Lovecraft tale. And w- when I watch it, I always kind of kind of get a mood of, of Call of Cthulhu or, or Shadow over Innsmouth. And I just, the idea of this, like, this, this ritualistic sacrifice that was done in this, like, old hotel, you know, centuries or whatever ago, and, and it created this doorway in, into another world. It's, it's very much, very much feels like it could be, could be a Lovecraft story. I, I don't know if, <laughs> If it was intentional on on Fulci's part, because with his stories, it, it seems like um, storytelling wise, it's kind of just throwing darts at a board until it's like, yeah, we'll go with that. But I, I do think maybe he did he did read some some Lovecraft and and some some Robert E. Howard and stuff like that. Because if you look at a movie like Conquest, like that that's very Conan the Barbarian, like the original novels. It feels very much like that sort of storytelling. So I don't think it's very far and away that Fulci took took a little bit of Lovecraftian influence for the the Beyond and maybe some of his other movies. What about 1973's Messiah of Evil? This one is is sort of like like Prince of Darkness. I think a more subtle Lovecraft influence. You can see it mm. in the aesthetics. You can see it in the the way the characters are acting. I think Messiah of Evil, which I've said before on the show, is a vastly underrated film, is more of a subtle Lovecraft film. Been a been a while since I've seen it, but I do remember kind of getting those um, those creepy Lovecraftian vibes with that. I, I could see that. I could see that. Okay, now how about this one? Children of the Corn. Not for most of the movie, <laughs> but He Who Walks Behind the Rose is a Lovecraftian monster, isn't it? That's yeah. That could be um, uh, Dagon. That could be Cthulhu. Um, also, there's there's of course the the cultist influence. Very, I'd say very Eldritch horror with that one. That's very much like like a shadow over Innsmouth, uh, weird town of worshippers and cultists and this sort of underground society, and and they're worshiping some sort of unseen be all end all old god it's subtle but i do think that there there could be uh lovecraftian influence with with children of the corn i mean i i think honestly they were just probably trying to make just a creepy slasher film about killer children but intentional or not there's definitely some lovecraft in there well so what would you say is the influence of lovecraft on film because as we pointed out some of these are obvious you know we want to pay homage to hp lovecraft some of these are sort of a more subtle influence what is lovecraft's impact on film because i think we're still kind of seeing it how many times do you see a new horror movie and you say to yourself just subtly ah, get a little bit of a lovecraft vibe off this but it really comes across as unintentional i feel like Without Lovecraft, we wouldn't have modern science fiction horror. I, I think, I'm, I'm straight up just gonna say that if he hadn't have written the stories that he wrote, and they weren't eventually discovered by other authors later on in different generations, I think horror and science fiction at large be very different because not only did he influence filmmakers down the line in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s and onward, but he influenced a lot of authors as well. He was one of the first, if not the very first, to do galactic horror and aquatic horror and weird cultist type stuff that, and blending all of these things together into just a blender of fucking madness. I feel like he was certainly one of, if not the first, and without that, filmmaking would be very, very different, particularly with, with horror and, and science fiction kind of stuff, because as you said, we still see his influence to this day. That, that's how strong his work stand the test of time because it wasn't just back then. It wasn't just the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It's still 
happening today. You still see Lovecraftian influence. People are still reading his his stories. People still really like his works and are interested in his work. So I feel like his works have to be one of the biggest influences on, on the entertainment industry at large. Like, not even just movies, but heavy metal bands. You know, you've got Metallica, the frontman James Hetfield is obsessed with Cthulhu. He's made several songs about him. Dungeons and Dragons probably wouldn't have ever been made without uh, influence from from Lovecraft. You know, even even Robert E. Howard's uh, Conan Conan novels, very, very Lovecraft influence. In fact, they, they exist in a world together. It's, it's like an extended universe. They were sort of collaborating on that. So you've got so much influence of Lovecraft in not only movies, in books, in video games, in, in board games. So much. Like Magic the Gathering has a whole shitload of Lovecraft stuff in it. I honestly, Lovecraft might be one of, one of the, if not maybe the biggest influence in show business, entertainment, everything. Like I think without it, we would be living in a very, very different world. I think Lovecraft could kick Shakespeare's ass. Oh, f- yeah, f- Shakespeare. When it comes to Lovecraft, do you think that the man is why, especially now in a much more enlightened, in quotes, era since maybe, say, 2010 or so, you know, all of his racism and his xenophobia, his sexism, his anti-Semitism has really, anytime someone tries to adapt something or give an award that's based on a Lovecraft work or something, all of the isms he had start to really come out. Do you think that the man himself might be the reason he's not acknowledged more because he is a problematic person? I think when it comes to Lovecraft, you have to look at, I'm not condoning his outlook, but there are reasons for it. He was very sheltered. He was kept in the attic by a very crazy mother, which made him afraid of the world, afraid of different people, afraid of different races, afraid of people visiting his town. That fear of the unknown definitely did lend itself to his stories, but also his his fear of aquatic life also lended itself to the stories. Like, yeah, he was a racist and a sexist, but he was also afraid of squids. He was also afraid of uh, octopus and, and and different other uh, weird aquatic life that people really didn't know a whole lot of a whole lot about back then, which very well also lended itself to his stories. I feel like you got to look at the man's works and what it's done to influence popular culture in. In so, as I, I, I went through the laundry list already, like, it's staggering when you actually think about how many things are influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. Like, it's, it's ridiculous when you actually go through it. If you really sat down and decided to go through not only movies, comic books, novels, video games, board games, bands, like, like musical artists, heavy metal bands and, and stuff. It's, it's staggering what an influence he is. And whether he was a problematic person or not, and he was, he definitely had racist tendencies and, and sexist tendencies. His work was amazing. It was influential and it continues to be influential. So to deny that by simply saying, oh, he was problematic, which yeah, he was. A lot of people at that time were problematic and would not get along very well in today's society. But the work that he made still stands the test of time. More than quite a few other authors in his in his same sort of arena that get talked about a lot more, like like Ed, Edgar Allan Poe and stuff like that. But are, are people adapting Edgar Allan Poe characters into like D&D and movies and stuff like that and video games and comic books and, and novels? No, they're adapting Lovecraft shit because it's a hell of a lot more interesting. I, I'm also surprised they have not tried to make a Lovecraft biopic yet because i think the reason that they won't do that is they're going to have to acknowledge all of the isms that he was kind of, of him. a piece of shit yeah <laughs> it would be difficult to make this man your hero in the story you know mm-hmm. i think the, the closest I mean, they he... ever tried to do a lovecraft is himself in a movie is the the jeffrey combs ne- necronomicon film where he where jeffrey combs plays lovecraft and they don't really but he... touch on his racism or anything he's just like a writer and it turns into uh an anthology horror film of of lovecraft inspired stories which also makes me wonder in this day and age with the anthology series coming back and all these streaming services I can't believe, especially with all, not all, but I think most of Lovecraft's works being public domain at this point, how there has not been an H.P. Lovecraft TV anthology series, like on Shudder or Hulu. Yeah, I could see that. Two years ago, Philip K. Dick got Electric Dreams, an anthology series where they just adapt his works. 
I really, I really <laughs> am shocked there hasn't been a Lovecraft one of those. But again, it might be, it might be that they're, they're afraid of all the blue check marks on Twitter. Because if you tried to make Maybe. a Lovecraft series, it would be all these blue check marks going, but then you're endorsing his racism and his anti-Semitism. Because that also does bring up a question of modern adaptations. If you're going, to, if yeah. you're going to adapt a, a Lovecraft story, are you going to clean it by taking out the racism or are you going to adapt it properly where the black people are just this side of talking monkeys? I, I, I can see the problematic aspect there, you know? Well, I mean, they've been adapting his works that way forever. I mean, if you look at Stuart Gordon's reanimator, I mean, there's a lot of racism in the reanimator story. <laughs> they have completely excised that from the film, which is actually quite a, a fairly it's it's true it's t- it stays true to the story but they have entirely excised the 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 racist factor in there because herbert west in the story does not like the black people i just wonder why in this day and age we have more lovecraft influence movies then we actually have Lovecraft adaptations. Because, okay, yeah, Del Toro's been wanting to make At the Mountains of Madness forever, but now Ron Howard's going to do it, whether he screws it up or not. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. You'll notice, when we talked about all those Lovecraft adaptations last week, almost all of them were direct-to-video or low-budget. It's almost like big-budget Hollywood is afraid of Lovecraft. What, cause his, they always have been. Except, it's, except it's his like, stories, I, his stories are so large and grandiose. I, I mean, obviously he had, you know, a shadow over Innsmouth, you could do low budget. But like At the Mountains of yeah. Madness or Call of Cthulhu or something, you need a big budget for that. And it's, it's. Oh yeah, like if you're, if you're gonna adapt something like relay elements of that, and obviously if you're gonna showcase Cthulhu as a, as a character in the film, it's, it's gonna take quite a, quite a big budget, cause these are some definite grand scale ideas. Um, Hollywood seems to have been afraid of Lovecraft forever. Like, I know plenty of filmmakers that have been trying to do big Lovecraft films and they always get put on the back burner. There's, I, I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's, um, about the, the man himself. I don't think that was really the issue, uh, with the 70s and the 80s, cause I don't think they really knew as much about him at that point. But I, I feel like maybe they thought the content was just too, too strong, that there was something too abrasive and ugly and dusting about it. And that if you, if you came to the, the boardroom with that idea that you wanted to pitch an idea for a Lovecraft movie, it would just immediately get shut down. So you'd have these filmmakers, they're kind of skirting the line a little bit. It's like, well, okay, uh, you know, John Carpenter's like, okay, well, what if I remade Thing from Another World and did it more of, of a true adaptation to who goes there? This, this old, uh, story from Weird Tales or whatever publication it was from. And then studios like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you do that, and then he goes and secretly makes a really solid ad- adaptation of At the Mountains of At the Mountains of Madness. I feel like that seems to be the only way to get your studio Lovecraft film made is to pretend it's something else and not mention Lovecraft. Embrace Lovecraft. You don't have to embrace what he stood for, his xenophobia, his anti-Semitism, or anything. Mm-hmm. But just embrace. Lovecraft. Don't censor it. If you're going to adapt the story, adapt it as it was written, and 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 don't let the blue check marks on Twitter be like, no, it's Lovecraft. His cat has a racial slur in its name. Uh, I, I still can't. Be- I still. I still. It boggles my mind that his cat was named that. Oh my god. But but that also shows just how deeply rooted his racism was. Too. Oh yeah, he was very much. Uh hardwired into that kind of thinking and maybe it changed down the line because you know uh, sexism stuff changed a little bit because he ended up falling in love with a woman and maybe some of the racism changed as well because she was jewish so maybe he had matured later on in his life we 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 don't really know we we only know about some of the accounts and no he actually did because if you look at some of his later works black people are actual characters in the story which is good that's there are that's... there are indian spe- yeah, yeah he actually did sort of mature a little bit and well, i mean it's because okay, of, you re- he got he got further and further away from the original nest you know 
racism isn't a hardwired thing. Sexism isn't a hardwired thing. You're not born racist or sexist. You're taught it. You're taught it by uh, a- oppressive parenting or the society that you're that you're in. You can outgrow that shit. You can unlearn it and you can become a better person, which I think Lovecraft did. I think he, he matured. The further away he got from his nest, which was a very, very oppressive parent that kept him away from everybody, that told him he was sick all the time, that kept him in the attic, that's going to create a weird person that's been basically taught wrong. And I feel like clearly matured as a person. He got better as a person. He started to like you know, women more and other cultures more and stuff like that. And as you said, he was actually writing other races into his into his works and writing them as characters, which which is, I think, something people don't seem to really talk about too much. And as far as Lovecraft goes, they, they don't want to talk about the man he became. They want to talk about the man he was at first. I think most people, especially like the, the, the Twitter mobs, they would look at how many times he used racial slurs mm. or his poem or the poem he wrote in 1912 on the creation of niggers. Because remember to the, to the Twitter mob, you can't change. Yeah. You're racist. You're racist. Because remember when three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri came out, the fact that the character in that Sam Rockwell's character is a racist who learns why he was wrong and tries to change. Yeah. They called that you're trying to humanize racism and it's like do you people not understand this is this is something that that you can unlearn yeah. to okay this is a whole this is a whole different topic we just got into <laughs> i don't want to go there but it is a good but, analogy for lovecraft as a person that you know he there is the possibility that he unlearned the bullshit that he was taught as a kid let us know to the listeners let us know what Lovecraft-inspired films we missed. Because I already know one that everyone's going to spam me with, which is not. Leave Cabin in the Woods out of it. A four-second cameo by an old one at the end of the movie does not make it Lovecraft-inspired. <laughs> and Joss Whedon is a hack, so You don't even know up. whether that's some god thing that's running the world. Like, that doesn't necessarily make it Lovecraft-inspired. Let us know at 1201beyond at gmail.com what Lovecraft-inspired work we may have missed or whether, you know, we were totally wrong on Life Force or The Beyond or something like that. Peter, where can people find you if they would wish to tell you that you're wrong? Uh, you can find me praying in the Church of Cthulhu on Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook The Cinemasochist, YouTube The Cinemasochist, 1201beyond.com with other fine programming, and on Patreon at Cinematica. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show, as I stated, at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.